about courageous faith. Uh, however, before we do that, uh, the past couple of weeks uh, and a little bit earlier on this year, we spoke a little bit about the various camps that we can attend and uh, summer camps that we can sign up for and all those things. I attended summer camp, uh, church camp, when I was younger. Uh, I'm not allowed to go back there, but it was, it was fun for me and uh, learned a lot, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Rose Smith, go ahead, come on up here, Rose, had the chance to listen to a testimony uh, from one of her friends, and she wanted to share that with you today about camp, and so I'm going to turn, uh, turn the rest of this over to her. All right, good morning. So for those of you guys who don't know who I am, my name is Rose Smith, and when it comes to ministry, there's three things that I'm really, really passionate about, and that's missions, VBS, and camp. So I understand that last week was Camp Sunday. However, I wasn't here because I was actually out in Colorado preparing um, with Praying Pelican Missions. I was doing some training with Praying Pelican Missions, preparing for mission trips this summer up in Alaska, is where I spend my time, is leading trips in Alaska. But I was able to meet with the folks that are leading the trip in Kentucky with our students this summer, and they are really excited. But when I was out in Colorado, I took the opportunity to connect with an old friend from high school. I doubt many of you guys know him, but Joff Kearns, I graduated high school from him, with him, I mean. And you might know his dad. His dad was on school board, mayor of West Mansfield, seemed like he was in everything. But one of the things that I remember about Joff is that there was, from one school year to the next, there was this noticeable change. Now, don't get me wrong, Joff was always a, a really nice guy, but there was a change. And out of nowhere, he was coming to youth group, he was talking about Jesus, something was different. And, you know, he just kind of was always there from then on out. And I never knew what caused that change. Well, last week, he lives in Colorado now, where I was at. I got together with Joff, and I got to ask him, what was this change? What caused this? I never knew. And he started laughing, and he said, you know, that's a really funny story. Jeff Lowe invited him to Camp Union. And he said, here's what Jeff, uh, that, what Jeff had told Joff, that there was tons to do, it'd be a lot of fun, and there'd be tons of girls. <laughs> well, anybody who's been to Camp Union knows that it's essentially a four square, and that's it. And Joff said, guys to girls, 10 to 1. But this was not the week he was, he was expecting and then he said, but one night a local farmer came and just shared the gospel. And Joff continued to tell me what the farmer was wearing, the chapel, the wooden chairs, all these details that we actually know very well from, from going to camp there years and years and years. But for Joff, he said that after he accepted Christ, there was this, this physical feeling of knowing that the weight of the world was now off of his shoulders. So he went on to become a youth pastor at a fairly big church out in Denver. He has now ministered and invested in thousands of students' lives, and it's all traced back to Camp Union. So my encouragement for you today is, one, get your kids to camp. Two, invite, ask them what friends they want to invite to camp, because God is moving in those places. So whether it's Camp Union, Mara Valley, Camp Wesley, Western Buckeye, but it's true God-given Christian name is Camp Christian, and I will die on that hill. Um, get your kids there, because so rarely do we get to see the long-term effect of ministry, and I got to see it last week, you know? From being at Camp Union to hearing Joff speak last week was really encouraging. So that's what I got. Get your kids to camp. 
Thank you, Rose. Appreciate that. Well said, well done. Good memory. Sending kids to camp. Kids like camp. I don't, I don't know if, if I would enjoy it the same way now that I did then, uh, but uh, I know kids, kids certainly like camp. Kids change over the years, though. Uh, the things they like, things they don't like things that uh, interest them and the things that don't, things they're afraid of and the things they're not afraid of, which raises the question, what are you afraid of? Hmm? What are you afraid of? What do you fear? Or maybe whom do you fear? And when, when, when we're young, when we're kids, uh, some, of those, uh, some of those fears are, you know, afraid of the dark or... Maybe afraid of, of thunderstorms. Sam doesn't like thunderstorms. He's been caught in two flash floods, so I don't blame him at this point. Uh, kid's seven years old, but in two flash floods. Um, maybe it's monsters under the bed, you know, something in the closet. We're afraid of those things. Kids can be scared of those things. It seems silly at some point. Our, our minds change and our fears change. We, we tell ourselves that we're going to be uh, fearful of or scared of. Uh, we don't like to say the word fearful or scared, though, do we, as adults? Uh, so we say worry. I'm going to worry about it. What we mean is be scared. Okay? Uh, so we're going to worry about bigger things, more important things. All right? Things that are actually real. It would be silly to be afraid of the monsters under the bed instead of being scared of or fearing real things that exist. And you know what I'm talking about. These are the things that, that hit close to home as we're, we're fearful maybe of, uh, of losing a job or, or fearful of a particular uh, influence in a circle of friends or maybe fearful even in some of our relationships. The question, though, is what are you afraid of? And I hope, I think, that many of us would like to say nothing. We would like to say that I'm afraid of nothing. But I will tell you that that's not necessarily the best answer. That's not the best answer we can give. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Rose's testimony. We thank you for the opportunity to read your word today, to be, to be encouraged, to be strengthened by your word today. We ask, Father, that it will challenge us, that it will speak to our hearts and our minds. We ask, Father, that we will respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Last week, as we looked at Moses, we saw the reality of a late start. And we realized, we found out that it was no excuse for lack of obedience or lack of faith. Remember, we're going to use obedience and faith interchangeably. 
So whenever I say obedience, I mean faith. Whenever I say faith, I mean obedience. You ought to use them interchangeably in your own life. If you don't use those interchangeably in your own life, you don't understand what they mean. Faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. You may call Moses, and this is just what we, we called it, eventual faith. And Moses eventually obeyed God. He eventually gave his life over to God to be used. He eventually, even after excuses on the mountain, he became an instrument for good. By the way, he didn't become an instrument for ease or comfort or uh, fun times or any of that. If you read through the Exodus story, on more than one occasion, the people he was leading wanted to kill him. They said, we want to kill you, the people he was leading to the promised land. But Moses was able to do this even after 80 years. After 80 years, he found himself on the mountain. Today, we look at another expression of faith. And I think it's one that gets confused a little more than we think. Today, we look at at an example of courageous faith. Now, courage is certainly a virtue. We would like to think that we are courageous people. I think we would all agree with that. But courage is and can be misunderstood or perhaps misdefined. And if we misunderstand it, then often we cannot find the source. Therefore, we are not courageous. So I'll just ask you a rhetorical question. I'm going to ask and answer it. It's diatribe. Paul wrote this way. I can speak this way. What is the source of courage? There are two wells that we dip from when it comes to the source of courage. Number one is love. Number number two, in a somewhat ironic twist, fear. Fear. Number one is love. Number two is fear. Let's go back in time before Moses was on the mountain. Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died. If you don't know who Joseph is or you don't remember who Joseph is, don't worry. Hang on to the rest of this series. This is going to lead into our Vacation Bible School series. We're going to talk about Joseph and we're going to lay out some of these, uh, these events that led up to the Exodus story. But Joseph and all of his brothers and that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to the people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they're going to join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pitam and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. By the way, there's your first picture of the church. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Now, the Egyptians had skilled laborers. Uh, they, had, uh, they had people that they would employ to do a lot of the important work in the kingdom. They also inscripted people, sort of like the draft. They would draft people into different areas of work. But even then, they had their freedom and they paid them. 
the Hebrew people were not in any of those groups. Okay, they were slaves. They were very much property, chattel slavery, very reminiscent of early uh, United States type of slavery, just very, very bad stuff. Verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. King of Egypt said to these two women, if you see there's a boy, I want you to kill him. If it's a girl, I want you to let her live. The king of Egypt at this place or at this point is pretty much synonymous with the king of the world. Egypt was the power. They were the, uh, the, the uh, 800-pound gorilla. They were the ones who wielded all the influence and all the power. And of course, if you were Pharaoh, you had all the power over Egypt. You could do what you wanted, say what you wanted, act the way you wanted. In fact, the Pharaoh even considered himself divine. And here is Pharaoh telling these two women, these two Hebrew midwives, if it's a boy, I want you to kill it. If it's a girl, let it live. This is all alone. This is what all alone feels like. He didn't make a proclamation to the rest of the Hebrew people. He would have had an uprising. He, at this point, he doesn't even make a proclamation to the rest of his people. All we know is he calls in these two women and says, this is what I want you to do. Can you imagine the weight that is on the shoulders of these two women? And they know full well, church, that they're talking to Pharaoh here. Their lives are on the line. The Bible doesn't talk about this. doesn't say that specifically. But that is certainly implied. You didn't disagree. You didn't disobey Pharaoh, the king of the world. Can you imagine even telling others? Did they tell others? When they left the throne room or wherever it was, the conversation that they had between the two of them, filled perhaps with worry and fear and dread, the knees giving way when they hear this, this demand from the Pharaoh, who should we tell? Are we going to tell? Can people help us with this? Are you going to do? Am I going to do? Are you going to do? See, these are the kinds of things that go through their mind. And maybe it wasn't just them. You have to think about that. If we're talking about a huge nation of Israel, maybe these two women were in charge of a group of women. And now the decisions that they're going to make are going to affect the lives of all of these other women who are in their charge. I, I, I don't know what that feels like. Imagine if they went to the rest of the Hebrew elders. Because as far as we know, they weren't in the room. You're not going to believe what Pharaoh told us. Are they going to feel pity from them? Are they going to be scoffed at? Oh, you silly ladies. You clearly misunderstood. There's no way he's going to do something like that. Pat their hand and send them on their way. Or even worse, what if their advice from the Hebrew elders was, well, here's what I would do. 
I'd have spit right in Pharaoh's face. I'm not going to do it. You shouldn't do it either. Pal, it's not your life on the line. Keep your mouth shut. Here's what I would do. These women had horrors over their minds and over their lives. Maybe it affected even more than them. The command came from Pharaoh no less. He could do whatever he wanted with these women. This command was not given out of love and respect. Their opinions were not sought. This was not a suggestion. These women had a decision to make that no one could make for them. You see, that's when courage really hits home. There ain't anybody else in the world who can make a decision for you. Your spouse can't do it. Your kids can't do it. Preacher can't do it. There isn't anybody else that can do this. The teacher can't do it. The coach can't do it. The legislature can't do it. Elected officials can't do it. Your boss can't make the decision for you. Your church elders can't do it. There's a point at which when it comes to courage, only you can decide. No one else. To do what is presumably safe, at least temporarily, or to do what is right. To do what is right. Courageous faith. It it would have been so easy for these ladies to use the command of the higher up, whoever that is in our lives, to use the command of the higher up as an excuse to just do what they say. And, And here's the other thing. I'm not sure anybody would have blamed them. They probably would have pitied them. All these poor women. They don't want to, but they're given the command. I guess their hands are tied. That's all they can do. They lay out the fact that Pharaoh is the king. That we can't go against what Pharaoh says. After all, isn't this the system? Isn't he the boss? They don't want to, but they must go. Boy, it's easy to use that excuse, isn't it? This is what the boss says. I guess that's it. My hands are tied. No, Mom, I'm not going to be there. Coach said we got to be there. My hands are tied. Y'all, that's what the teacher said. I guess there's nothing I can do. Hey, look, all my friends are doing it. This is the way they work, the way they think, the way they operate. Hey, that's just my job. (laughs) I guess I can't do anything. What if they would have said it? hmm? What if they would have said the very same thing we say? I guess we got to kill them. Our hands are tied. What do you fear? Are you courageous? Verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God. These ladies feared God. They didn't do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They didn't do what the king of the world told them to do. They did what their creator wanted. And they let the boys live. Where does courage 
Where does this obedience, where does this faith come from? Church, it comes from fear, but it comes from fear of the right thing. We can be filled with fear of the wrong thing. We can be filled with fear of the future instead of fear of what actually is. You you want a good example of this? It can lead us down a dark path. A great example of this is Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh himself was afraid, not of God, but he was afraid of something in the future, losing his power, losing his position. Go back a few verses. What did he say in verse 8? The new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power. He said, look, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they're going to join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. You see, that's where the irrational fear leads Pharaoh, into horrible things and terrible proclamations, terrible ways of life. He was afraid for himself. These women feared God. They served God. Pharaoh serves himself because he's afraid for himself. Pharaoh is the slave. He thinks he's got a country full of slaves. He's the slave. Slave to his own fear. Slave to his own lack of understanding and seeing what reality actually is. Something that disrupts our courageous faith is taking our thoughts off of what we're doing and focusing on what might happen to us. This is why we're told in Scripture, live today, live eternally. There's two places you're not supposed to live, in the past and in the future. Your mind is not supposed to be there. Your heart is not supposed to be there. What does Jesus say? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to get here. You do your job today. You store up for yourselves treasures for eternity. What does Paul say about the past? Forget about the past. Move forward. One of the It robs us of courage when we live in the future. That is where we are the furthest away from Jesus Christ. The job today. The decision now. And this is how we're preparing for eternity. Yeah, one of the jobs today is to lay out your, you know, lay out your week, lay out your job, lay out your different responsibilities throughout the week. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the mind, the heart. Where courage comes from. If it's living tomorrow, you're empty today. Today is where you work. Today is where you've been given a decision. Today is where you act. And you act all planning for eternity. It robs us of our fear. Living in the past robs us of our peace. Living in the future robs us of our courage. You know what that is? What's Pharaoh scared of? When he's focusing on himself instead of fearing God... He is literally scared of something that has not happened yet. In other words, he is terrified by something that doesn't exist. He's terrified of monsters under the bed. And we said that silly, didn't we? Let me tell you what courage is not. Courage is not lack of all fear. It is not lack of all fear. I told you fear was an ingredient 
in this courage. There must be something that you can lose. There must be something threatening in order to have courage. You see, that's one of the reasons why courage and, and this courageous faith, this courageous obedience, that's one of the reasons why it takes many forms. You know, for some, to tell their friends and their family about Jesus doesn't invoke any courage at all. You know, I mean, my friends and family all know I'm a preacher. That's, you know, number one, why they avoid me. But number two, that's why and when we go and hang out, everybody pretty much knows Jesus is going to come up at some point during this time. We talk to them, friends, family, spouse, kids, whatever it is about Jesus. It doesn't require a whole lot of courage. But for some, for some, for maybe you in this room, it requires a great deal of courage to talk to your friends or your family or your spouse or your kids or your parents, whoever it is, about Jesus. For these two ladies, it took a lot of courage not to kill these little boys. And they were able to do it, again, because their fear was in the right place. Because they feared God. It doesn't take a lot of courage if it's something you do every day. Others, it takes a great deal of courage. There's people here who, you know, in this room who fly an airplane. It doesn't take a whole lot of courage for some of those people to fly an airplane. It may take a great deal of courage for you to step foot on one. There's people in this room that build buildings and houses. It might not take a great deal of courage for them to do it. It would take a great deal of courage for me to do it. If I was going to build your house, it would be two stipulations. Number one, it would take a long time. Number two, it would be really expensive. Number three, it would be three stipulations. Don't ever live there if I build your house. I'll fall down on you. Things like that. Sometimes it takes a great deal of courage to do some of these things. Courage is not lack of fear. Fear, we consider a bad thing, but only because we treat fear incorrectly. Just like practically everything else, we have destroyed what it's meant to do. We used fear in ways it was never meant to be used. Fear is not there to paralyze us or cause us to go the wrong way. It is there to challenge us, to strengthen us, to refine us by fire, and to help us realize that we actually do believe what we say we believe. These two ladies could have professed God their whole life. And it's real easy when fear doesn't raise its ugly head, when courage is not needed. But here before Pharaoh, courage is needed. Because there's something, something inside their minds and their hearts that is threatening that can be taken away. And they know... That they believe in God. They know that they are obedient. They know that they have courageous faith. Courage is not lack of all fear. By definition. It requires being scared. Number two. Courage is not recklessness. Courage is not recklessness. Courage, this courageous obedience, this courageous faith, is going into the challenge with your eyes wide open. I have heard rather bad advice before. 
maybe what I, I might call advice steeped in ignorance. And you've probably heard this from someone before as well. It usually starts out with the words, well, why don't you just, right? You're in a bad spot. You're in a place that has fear. You're in a place that requires courage. And someone gives you advice, well, why don't you just, you never just do anything when you're in that position. You know what I'm talking about. This is recklessness. This is beating your chest. This is the one that says, I'm not scared of anything. You're not scared of anything because you don't have any skin in the game. You're not scared of anything because you don't have any responsibility. You're not scared of anything because you're not there to pick up the pieces. You're not scared of anything because you're not the one mopping up the floor. You're not scared of anything because it's not your life on the line. That's just reckless. I was talking to a uh, sister the other day about books. We were talking about different books, and we got to talking about Moby Dick. And, uh, and I, I was telling her, I said, yeah, it's a good, you know, you got to read it. If you haven't read it, you got to read it. And so we were talking about this for a while. When I got home, uh, I opened the book again, you know, just because it was on my mind for the umpteenth time. And I was reading through it, and I came across something. Uh, you know, Starbuck is kind of the, uh, kind of the hero a little bit. He's the one that kind of, him and Stubb kind of hold everything together when Ahab goes crazy. Um, and Starbucks says something. He, he, he says, I'll never take anyone in a whale boat with me who's not terrified of a whale. He says, because that's where courage comes from. Other than that, it's just recklessness. Other than that, it's just recklessness. Courage is not recklessness. These women know full well the weight of their decision. They know their lives are on the line. And they're still willing to make the right decision. These women did what was right. It's reasonable to assume that they know their lives would be lost. There is a price to pay. Just get this in your heads. There is a price to pay for courageous faith. There's a price to pay for courageous faith. This is why Jesus tells us to count the cost. Count the cost before you give me your life. So what about this fear of God? Hmm? Now, we know that this emotional fear plays a role in courage, but how does this fear of God play a role in courage? Ah, see, now we're beginning to fear the right thing. Fear of God means an awesome reverence and respect for who and what he is. That's simply what it means. It's just easier to write fear, right? It's quicker to write fear. Fear of God means an awesome reverence and respect for who and what he is. To fear more the king and creator of the universe than Pharaoh, the king of the world. You have an awesome respect for what he desires. And this kind of fear overpowers, overpowers all other fear. In fact, Jesus gives us this very same advice, Matthew chapter 10. What I tell you is talking to his disciples. He says, don't be afraid. He says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one. That is this awesome reverence. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, there's multiple stories. Actually, I've read quite a few stories of this, uh, particularly Civil War, because that's the things I like to read, uh, of, of, of men charging the guns. 
you know, almost certain death, and they charge the guns, and they charge the guns because they're more afraid of their commanding officers and their sergeants that are moving them forward than they are of the guns that they're facing. And they do it with bravery. They do it with focus. They do it to a certain extent, even in some, with excitement. There's a fear that drives out, overpowers other fear in your life. And that is the fear of God. And you can also begin to see why love then is this important ingredient to courageous obedience as well. You end up loving this God. You end up loving this one that you respect, this one that you honor. Again, those COs that were so, you know, that the, the soldiers were so afraid of, those were the ones that they wanted because they knew they were strong. They knew they were powerful. They knew they were focused. And they ended up loving these people. The object of our love is so much stronger than emotional fear. I mean, you, you've probably experienced it. It's the most dangerous place in the world to be, right? It's between a mother and her young, right? You just, you'd rather fight a girl in a phone booth than do that. I mean, it's a horrible, you know, it's just, just, you know that you're in a dangerous spot because there is something that just overpowers. This love just overpowers all fear. It doesn't get rid of it. It's stronger than it. And again, the midwives feared God. They did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. And they let the boys live. Sometimes we have no idea how far our courageous obedience will echo. You know, we think that the grand story of the Exodus and the grand story of this history uh, started with the eventual obedience of Moses. What we end up finding is that, no, the Exodus story started right here. The Exodus story started with this courageous faith from these two women. By their courageous obedience, these women, this people of God, grew into a mighty nation. Once again, sounds an awful lot like the growth of the church. Verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And we do find that God blessed the midwives and they had children of their own. In verse 21, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. We read stuff like that, and it might be tempting to assume that knowing all of these things, it would make that situation easier. But you and I both know that they had no idea that God was going to bless them in that way. They had no idea that God was going to work in that way. All they knew was they had a chance for courageous obedience or courageous faith, and they seized upon it. This is sometimes the way God works in our lives. Remember what he told Moses. I'm going to give you a sign after you do this. After you do, this, do what I tell you. After you express your faith, your obedience. Then you're going to have this sign. You're going to worship on this mountain. But he doesn't always work that way. And you need to know he doesn't always work that way. If you read through Hebrews, you find just the opposite. It's through courageous faith. The people were, in fact, not blessed with a temporary wonderful thing. They were sawn in two and run through with swords and beheaded. Hebrews chapter 11, some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith. Key in on this last line. 
Notice this last line. Yet none of them received what had been promised. What had been promised? Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, the coming King. You've already received that. You've seen the end. You've seen the blessing. You've seen the result. This is courageous faith on the back end. Not on the front. We talk about courageous obedience of all these people and all the horrible things they went through. And yet none of them saw the treasure, saw the end, saw the result, saw the blessing. You and I have. There's no excuse for lack of courageous obedience and courageous faith. There is a price to pay, though. What's it all for? <clears throat> what was all this for? In fact, look, look at verse 22. After all of this, ladies, their courageous faith, courageous obedience, saving the kids. What do we find in verse 22? Pharaoh then went to his own people. <laughs> he went to his own people. And he said, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Kind of deflated if you're these two women, aren't you? I mean, don't, don't, don't you find that maybe, maybe all of this was just a waste of time? That maybe if I could go back, I wouldn't have wrestled with this problem that much because I knew it was going to happen anyway. I knew these atrocities were going to happen. The kids still died. They were still killed. What was it all for? Have you ever, you ever, you ever wondered that? You ever, you ever made a stand for something? And you find out in the end nobody really missed you. Nobody really cared. Life just went on. You gave up, sacrificed something important to you. And life just went on. You ever ask yourself that? What was it for? Was it really worth it? Did I make a foolish decision? Pharaoh still finds a way to kill the kids. Why was Jesus obedient? Hmm? Why was Jesus obedient unto death on the cross? Jesus says this, or John says this in John chapter 1. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. All that stuff he went through, yet his own did not receive him. Yet, he says, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human, uh, human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is what I call the Schindler's List mentality, if you're familiar with the movie. He couldn't save them all. He, he lived in peril and he lived in fear and he made sacrifice after sacrifice and found out that he couldn't save them all, but he could save some, couldn't he? In fact, it, it ate at him. I could have saved one more. I could have saved one more. You see, this is what these ladies were doing. This obedience to Christ. I could save one more. I can't save them all. 
I can't fix everything. I can't make every right decision. I can't make everyone follow that same example. But I might be able to show that example in my home to my kids. I and mean, we just had a great testimony from Cliff about his own mother and how just the way she lived and her actions and he saw. That's, I kind of call that the Schindler's List reason. There's one more, maybe one more in this courageous obedience. What's the second reason? Second reason is this, and this is from 1 Peter 3. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I don't have time for this, but I want to tell it anyway. There's another movie. And you've probably seen this before. It's a golf movie. It's called The Legend of Bagger Vance. You've you seen that? You've heard that one before? It's, it's a fictional movie. Uh, but there's a couple of real, real live golfers in there. Uh, anyway, the, the, the sort of hero of the story is a man named Juna, and he's in a golf match uh, against Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen. Those two, those were real golfers, of course. And he's in a, he's in a match against them, and, and the last day of the match is 72 holes, and, and they go on through all of this, they, they play the game of golf, and, and they get down to the last hole, and they're all tied up, okay? And it's getting dark, the day's just about over, all three of them tee off, and... and, and the hero of the story, he goes over with his little young caddy, little young caddy named Hardy, junior caddy, goes over and he finds his ball laying there. And he's about ready to hit his second shot, but before he does this, he clears away a couple of sticks and leaves just to make sure that he's got a good shot. As he's clearing things away, it's just the two of these guys standing in the woods, the ball rolls. Remember that? Rolls about that far. Rolls about that far. They're tied up. He looks at the ball, he looks at Hardy, he says, I have to penalize myself a shot. And Hardy just loses it, you know. No, you don't. He says, that's a silly rule. There's no reason for this. You don't have to do that. You and I are the only ones here. No one is ever going to know. You remember what he says? He says, I don't know. I don't know. That's why you show courageous faith. And if you can't get there, you're not there yet. I don't know. And that's enough. My friends aren't going to know. Family's not going to know. Church isn't going to know. Boss isn't going to know. The team's not going to know. They're not going to care when it comes to courageous faith in your life. No one is going to care. And you'd better get to the place in your walk with Christ when you're able to stand there and say, I'll know. I'll know. And that's enough. You do the right thing because it's the right thing and no other reason. That's it. Let's see. I like the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King made it. 
idol. Told him, says, look, bow down to it. If you don't bow down to it, I'm going to kill you. Their response was this, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. By the way, that's one of our problems. We'll talk about that sometime later. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the image of gold that you have set up. Courageous faith. Courageous obedience. It's hard. It's not easy. It never will be easy. If it is easy, it's not courage anyway. You understand that? It's never going to be easy. It's not supposed to be. But courageous faith. It helps you get to the end of this life and know that you believe what you believe. The valleys of life could be a tremendous gift to all of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you, Father, that we know you're real. That we know you want this, <clears throat> this moral standard in our life of love and sacrifice and humility. Father, we know that, that we can live for eternity, not for tomorrow. That eternally you have a place for us. That eternally we get to hear this good and faithful servant. We get to hear that, 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 that connection and that gratitude and that love that you have for us. And Father, right now we know that we're in the trenches. We know we're in the battle. Give us courage. Give us courage. Father, I do not pray for ease. I do not pray for comfort. Give us courage and the strength to overcome the hardship and the struggle and difficulties of the different decisions we have to make. Help us to realize that all of these decisions are so important to our lives. Give us courageous faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
probably a good example if you want to look for courageous faith. Sit down and talk to them about it, some of the things they've done, the things they've sacrificed. It's a beautiful picture of courageous faith. I thank moms for being here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for challenging us. We thank you for stirring in our minds and our hearts. The fact that we can see the example of these two women to see what real courage looks like, to see what real faith looks like. I thank you, Father, that you've placed people in Scripture and in our lives that we can use their example, that we can be strengthened by what they do and what they say. I thank you, Father, that you bless them and continue to bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. To uh, talk about courageous faith here in just a minute. Uh, but last week and the week before, uh, we talked about uh, camps. We had our camp tables out here. It is camp season. People are signing up for camp and going to summer camp. Uh, I went to summer camp, I went to church camp when I was a kid, and uh, enjoyed it a lot, had a good time. Uh, and we've talked about the importance of that, and some of these being some of the missions that we support as well. Uh, recently, uh, Rose Smith, here in the church, you can come up here, Rose, uh, had the chance to talk to one of her uh, old classmates uh, about the significance of camp in, in his life, and Rose has, has a chance to share that with us here today, and uh, then we'll continue on with the service. I appreciate the words that she has to say and the work of camp in, uh, in this man's life. Good morning. So for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Rose Smith, and when it comes to ministries, there's three things that I'm really passionate about, missions, VBS, in camp. And so I am fully aware that last week was church was camp Sunday, but I wasn't here because I was actually out in Colorado doing some training with Praying Pelican Missions, which is an organization that um, I work with leading teams in Alaska. It's the same organization. Some of you have been in Alaska with me for that, which is fun. Um, but the same organization we're taking students to Kentucky with, and they are really excited to, to host these students in Kentucky. But I was out training for that out in Colorado. And I knew that that's where one of my friends from high school, Joff Kearns, was living. And so I got together with Joff, and, and we just got a chance to catch up. So here's the thing I remember about Joff, is that from one school year to another, there was a distinct difference. Now, don't get me wrong, Joff was always a super nice kid, always a super nice guy. But there was a difference. And I never knew what caused that difference in Joff. He just was at youth group one day and talking about Jesus pretty much from there on out. So I finally got the chance to ask him. And I said, when did this happen? How, how did I miss this? And he said, well, it's a funny story because Jeff Lowe had invited him to Camp Union. Now, Jeff had told him that there was going to be a ton to do, it was going to be a lot of fun, and there'd be a lot of girls. <laughs> well, anybody who's been to Camp Union... You know, it's basically a four-square four court in the middle of a cornfield. And then Joff said that the girl-to-guy ratio was easily 10 guys for every girl. So this is not the week he was expecting. And so um, he said, however, though, that it was a fun week. And more importantly, he said he remembered that one night a local farmer came in. And Joff even described what he was wearing. 
And he said, he, that man came in and just shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, he, he just continued to tell me about the, cha- the, the, the shape of the chapel and the wooden chairs and these things that those of us who have been to Camp Union can picture. And he said he remembers kneeling next to those chairs and just accepting Jesus and that the weight of the world was lifted off of his shoulders. And so, so rarely do we get to see where these ministries, these missions that we're a part of, we don't, we so rarely get to see the long-term effects, but here we got to, because Joff accepted Jesus at Camp Union, he went on to study um, pastoral services, something like that, at, at Taylor University, He's, he was a youth pastor in Denver for over 13 years, so he has been able to, to invest in thousands of students' lives and share the gospel, and it all goes back to Camp Union. So my encouragement for you today is talk to your kids about going to camp, but more importantly, ask them what friends they want to invite to camp because God is moving in those places. So whether it is Camp Union, Marmon Valley, Camp Wesley, Western Buckeye, which it's true God-given name is Camp Christian, I will die on that hill, that is the name of that camp. Um, I'm encouraging you guys to get our students there because God is doing amazing things there and we just never know what's going to come out of it. So, thank you. Thanks, Rose. Okay. Thank you, Joyce. It's not my turn yet. We're almost there. Uh, Jordan, Tasha, we want to bring Isaac up here. We have... One more extra special thing to do today, and this is to dedicate little Isaac Reeves. Look at him. Good-looking fella. I like your vest. I happen to be a bit of a vest connoisseur myself. Uh, I'm going to open this up so we can see my vest. There we go. Uh, This is Isaac Reeves, and this is Jordan and Tasha, his mom and dad. And and, uh, they want to just state publicly uh, that they are affirming and vowing before Christ to raise uh, Isaac to know Jesus. I wrote down a couple of thoughts here. Some of these are going to sound familiar. We have missions in life. All of us have missions that we've been granted. And they, they run the gamut, all of these different things that we can participate in when it comes to building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And most of these things that we participate in, you would, you would call life-changing either changing your life or changing someone else's life. But for those of you who have kids, especially you two, those of you who have kids, that mission is probably the most important one you're going to face. It's certainly one of the longest. It, it goes very, very deep. It runs deep. And it changes, again, your life while you're raising your kids to know Jesus. But it certainly changes their life, changes their, their, entire, their entire eternity, uh, raising kids to know Jesus. There is no, unfortunately, guarantee uh, that godly men and women raise godly kids. That's, that's not a guarantee in Scripture. We do have, though, a proverb that says, hey, look, if you do otherwise, that's pretty foolish. You want to raise or try to raise your kids to know and to love Jesus Christ because it's a good mission, it's a noble mission, and it is right. Apart from anything else, it's right uh, Jordan and Tasha have made the decision to raise Isaac to the best of their ability to know Jesus in their home. But I want you, not, I want to talk to you, I want you to understand the seriousness 
and the gravity of the decision in your words here today. This is, um, this is your word that you're giving. You're giving your word not only to this congregation, you're giving this word before Christ. You're making a vow before Christ that says we are going to raise Isaac to know who Jesus is. Our role as parents is to ask God for guidance, wisdom, a lot of help sometimes, right? It's going to be difficult. That's just the way it goes. To help us in choices and parenting our children. It's the responsibility of the church to help these folks, encourage these folks when they're raising their kids. And so you're going to be a part of this as well. And if you don't think that that's something you want to do or can do, I encourage you not to participate in your word that's going to be given here in just a moment. It's meant to be, it's supposed to be, taken very, very seriously. Always raising kids to know Jesus. We call this baby dedication. And uh, Laura said something a couple months ago. She said, you know, this is rightly known as parent dedication as well. Dedicating your lives uh, and not just Isaac's lives. I, I like this eye contact. You folks, you're paying attention here. You need to talk to some of these folks when it's time to preach. That's what you need to do. I'm going to be focusing on, on Isaac today while I'm preaching, just so you are all, all aware. But they are pledging themselves to obey the command of God. Paul gives us an incredible command in Ephesians chapter 4. Parents, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring up your children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. I like what we read in Deuteronomy about talking about Scripture with your kids as you're, as you're going through your day and walking along, talking about uh, the power of God and the law of God and all these wonderful things. And it's quite a journey. This journey brings with it a great deal of joy and it brings with it heartache, too. I mean, there's a lot of trial as you go through this stuff. Exactly. So this is, going, this is a very serious moment in your life. I want to reiterate, though, that this is not a moment where Isaac has accepted Jesus. Okay, that's, that's something he has to do on his own. Okay? Only he can do that. That's, that's the decision he has to make to accept the truth about Jesus. Um, it's not anything that we read in Scripture, uh, this particular ceremony. But the principle behind it, we do read all through Scripture, and that is to give your word that you're going to raise your kids to know who Jesus is, to talk about Him in your home, and to live as an example of Christ in your home. There's a lot of weight in these few words that you're about ready to say, okay? Here we go. I'm going to ask you, do you recognize your child as a gift from God, and do you give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? And in response to that blessing, dedicate your child to the Lord who gave him to you. If so, answer, we do. Do you pledge, do you give your word as a parent to bring your child up in the training and instruction of the Lord and pray for God to bless your child as they grow and develop? If so, answer, we do. Do you this day promise to set a Christian example in your home and do all that you can to direct your child toward a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ as their Savior? If so, answer, we do. Okay, congregation. Now, do you pledge to help this family? Do you pledge to support them? Do you pledge to care for them? Basically, the whole family's here anyway. I mean, they're sitting right there. <laughs> Do you pledge to show them the same type of love that Jesus shows up?
to care for them when they need care, to help in being this example of Jesus in Isaac's life. If that's something that you're willing to do, if, if you're able to stand, I would like you to stand up. Now, what you've just done after you've stood, this is the same vow that you're taking. Same vow you're taking before God that says, look, this family that I see right in front of me is very important. This child, Isaac, is very important to me. This is what you're saying. And yet you're all still standing. Wow, this is good. I want to thank God for our time, and I want to ask him to bless this family. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this family. We thank you for this entire family that's here, but we certainly thank you for Jordan and Tasha and Isaac. We thank you, Father, that he has right now, right in this moment, a tremendous gift. He is in the arms of two parents who know Jesus. What an incredible thing that you have done for this child. I ask, Father, that you will care for them, that you'll care for the family, that you'll care for this church, that as we look upon Isaac, we will see in him the importance of the expression of Jesus Christ and the love that we must show to him and his family and everybody that we come in contact with. I thank you, Father, that even now you're teaching him to be a preacher, apparently. This is fantastic. I thank you oh, just, just for the incredible joy that even now he brings. Father, bless this family. Protect Isaac in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Congratulations, you two. This is for Isaac. I expect a full report from him next week. Okay? All right. You can have a seat. I was in a little bit of competition right there. Uh, Raising up to be a preacher. Well, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about uh, parents dedicating their kids and their own lives uh, to raising kids to know Jesus. And you, you're right. You, you don't know uh, exactly how life's going to turn out, but you do your best. You do your best. That's what you're asked to do. You're asked to do your best when it comes to raising your kids to know Jesus. Uh, kids change. Uh, kids, uh, you know, they're, they're interested in one thing one day and another thing another. They change and move as they go through life. Uh, and, and their interests change, I've noticed, but also their fears change. Uh, you know, when they're kids, uh, they're scared of, I don't know, what are they scared of? Uh, the dark, spiders, they're scared of... Who said spiders as a kid? Wait a minute. Who said spiders is just a kid? I got to read that. I didn't have that in my notes. Um, but yeah, the dark monsters under the bed, right? Something in the closet, you know, all this stuff. Uh, thunderstorms. Sometimes kids are scared of thunderstorms. Sam's seven years old, been caught in two flash floods. He's a little nervous when thunder. I don't blame him. I would be too. Uh, but their, their fears change. As they grow older, they think to themselves, well, I've got to fear or think about or be scared of more serious things, right? Uh, to, to be scared of the monsters under the bed at 25 years old is probably a little inappropriate. It's a little silly at that point. So there's more serious things we think that we can be afraid of or should be afraid of or be scared of. Of course, we don't like to say the word uh, afraid or fear. We don't like the word uh, scared, so we say worry. I'm going to worry about it, right? Uh, what we mean is scared. What we mean is being full of fear, but what we say is, I'm going to worry about it because it makes me sound more responsible. Uh, that's what we think as we get older. 
In fact, as, as you're an adult right here, if you were scared of monsters under the bed, something that doesn't exist, you would say that that's pretty silly, wouldn't you? You would say it's silly. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Raises the question, what do you fear? What do you fear? Whom, maybe? Whom do you fear? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us a chance, an opportunity right now to praise your name, to learn from your word. Father, I ask that you would challenge us in this, that you will shake us up in our minds and in our hearts, that you will help us to see how good and big and powerful you are, that you will also get to see our incredible value that we have in this life. Father, please focus our minds and our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. I see Frank over there. Hey, Frank. Hey. Um, Exodus chapter 1. Last week, we saw the reality of a late start and found that we saw this in the life of Moses. We found that we have no excuse for lack of obedience or lack of faith even later in life. By the way, remember, I'm going to use interchangeably faith and obedience. Faith, you need to use it interchangeably in your life. When I say faith, I mean obedience. When I say obedience, I mean faith. All right, you need to be able to use that interchangeably in your life. This is acting upon that which you profess. And in Moses' life, you might call it eventual faith. Eventually, even after 80 years, Moses was able to give his life over to God to be used for very good things. Not easy things, not comfortable things. In fact, if you read through the Exodus story, there's multiple times where the people Moses is leading want to kill him. And the reason we know that is because the people tell Moses, we want to kill you, all right? That's, it's, not a, it's not an easy thing for Moses to give his life over to God and God to use it in that way. But he does eventually. He finds himself on the mountain, and even there he's throwing out some excuses. But he gets to the place where I must obey. And this is what we call, eh, what you could call, eventual faith. Today we look at another expression of faith. And it's one that gets, I think, a little confused more than we think. Today we look at an example of courageous faith. Courageous faith. Courage is certainly a virtue. It's it's something that we want and we would like. And we would like to uh, be defined as a courageous person. I think we'd all agree with that. But even courage itself is sometimes misunderstood or or maybe uh, misdefined. And if we misunderstand courage, then we cannot find its source. If we don't know where the source of courage is, then we do not have courage. So what is the source of courage? I've asked that question. I'm going to answer that question. It's called diatribe. Paul wrote this way. I can speak this way. What is the source of courage? We dip from two wells for courage. Number one is love. Number two, in a somewhat ironic twist, fear. Fear. And so when I ask the question, what are you afraid of, or what do you fear, or whom do you fear, initially in your head, you might think, I wish I could say nothing. But that might not be the best answer. That might not be the best answer when courage is something we are pursuing. Let's go back in time, Exodus chapter 1, before Moses was on the mountain. This is some years before Moses found himself on the mountain. Exodus chapter 1 starting in verse 6. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died. 
If you're unfamiliar with who Joseph is and his role in this Exodus story, I encourage you to hang on and stick with it because after this series, we get into a series on Joseph for VBS and we'll be able to talk about all that, okay? But Joseph and his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, a new pharaoh in Egypt, to whom... Joseph meant nothing. He didn't know who Joseph was, didn't care who Joseph was, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. They were living in an area called Goshen. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and they're going to fight against us and leave the country. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pitom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. By the way, there's your first picture of the church in Scripture. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread and grew. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. These were slaves in every sense of the word. Slavery and and slave is used, frankly, in many different ways as you go through later cultures and Greek history and so forth, even Israelite history. But here... We're talking about property, chattel slavery, the really bad you know, stuff that we see in early United States, that kind of thing. Uh, they had skilled laborers in Egypt that they would pay, they would train, they would go, put them to school, and they would do a lot of this stuff. They inscripted people, you know, kind of like an army draft, but even when they did that, these people still had freedom. They were Egyptian citizens, and they were paid and all this stuff. Not the Hebrews. Uh, they were forced into... Uh, building and doing the stuff that nobody wanted to do, the grunt work that nobody wanted to do. Uh, we see this throughout, throughout the, the historical record and the biblical record of Egypt. Finally, in verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. This is what it feels like to be all alone. Pharaoh essentially calls these two women into his throne. Says, this is what I want you to do. Pharaoh is, for all intents and purposes, the king of the world. There's no country at this place, at this point in history, that's more powerful, uh, and he runs that country. He can do what he wants to do. He can say whatever he wants to say. He even considered himself, to a certain degree, divine. And this is what he says to these two women. He does not make a proclamation to the Hebrew people. You know, it's not as though everybody in the nation heard this. Right now, what we hear is covertly, sort of undercover, bringing in these two women and in a moment, taking the entire weight of the world and setting it upon their shoulders. 
Here you go, ladies. Here's what I want you to do. It is rightly understood, although Scripture doesn't say it, it is rightly understood that their lives are on the line. You don't just disobey the king of the world. You don't just disobey Pharaoh. And you certainly don't disobey uh, Pharaoh if you're nothing more than a slave. Can you imagine the weight on these women's shoulders? Maybe. I mean, what are are the conversations they're having when they walk home? Their knees just got buckled as they heard this. They're talking to themselves, asking, what do we do? What do we do? Do we do it? Do we not do it? Are you going to do it? Should I do this? Are we in trouble? Is anybody going to believe us? Imagine that conversation. Who do we turn to? Who do we talk to? What do we say? Imagine if they did go to the, the elders, the Hebrew elders, and they're met with, uh, met with scorn. We don't know that. They're met with scorn as they talk to their people. Oh, you silly ladies, as they pat, pat their hands. There's no way Pharaoh would have said something like that. You must have misunderstood. There's no way this is happening. Trust me, just go on about your day and you'll be fine. There you go now. Go on. Or maybe, maybe they tell someone, maybe they tell the Hebrew elders, and they're the blowhards, right? What do you mean? Well, here's what I would have done. I would have spit in Pharaoh's face, right? And walked out, stormed out, said, I'm not doing this. Wait till your life's on the line. Wait till your life's on the line. Wait till you're in the same position as these two ladies. Until then, keep your mouth shut, Right? Here's what I would have done. Can't believe you're so weak. I would have said this and done that. Imagine what they faced. Some might believe them, some might not. Imagine this one. I don't know what to tell you. I'm glad it's you and not me. Right? Best of luck to you. I'm glad it's you and not me. Well, you talk about being all alone, all alone, when you get this kind of command. Maybe they're in charge of other midwives. I mean, if this is a big nation, if people are growing all the time, or this nation's growing all the time, maybe they had women underneath of them that worked for them, and now their decisions are going to affect the very life of all of these ladies. This is a hard decision. They are commanded by no less than Pharaoh. He could do whatever he wanted with these women. The command was not given with love and respect. Their opinions uh, weren't sought. And this was not a suggestion. These women had a decision to make that no one could make for them. When it comes to courageous obedience or courageous courageous faith, listen closely, that is all on you. No one else. There are very few things in our lives that rely solely upon us and not another person in the entire world. This is one of them. Only you can make the courageous decision to obey. Your spouse can't make that decision for you. In the moment, in the throne room, or on the birthing stool, only you can make that decision. Your spouse can't. Your boss can't, your preacher can't, 
The legislature can't. Your elected officials can't. There ain't anybody that can make a decision of courageous faith other than you as the individual, nothing else. See, we like to say that we're part of the church. We like to say that we're part of a group. We like to say that we're part of a family. We like to say that we're in a team. We like to say all that. And there's a lot of wonderful things about that. But when it comes down to courageous obedience, it is all you. These ladies had a decision to make. No one else. They could do what is presumably safe, at least temporarily, or they could do what is right. Do what's safe or do what's right. Courageous faith. By the way, it would have been very easy to use the command of the higher up, whoever that is in our lives, in her life, in their lives it was Pharaoh. would have been very easy to use the command of the higher up as an excuse to just do what they say. And here's the catch. I don't think anybody would have blamed them. I don't think their friends or family would have blamed them. I don't think their kids, their kids or their parents almost certainly wouldn't have blamed them. You're right. Look at these poor women. Their hands are tied. They don't want to do this evil thing, but they don't have a choice, so they must. It's easy, isn't it? Boy, it'd be easy to use that as an excuse. See, we, we, we read about it in the Bible, and we say that, no, I don't think I would. You sure? This is what the boss says. This is what I have to do. This is what my spouse says. This is just the way it goes. I have to. My hands are tied. This is what the team says. This is what the coach says. I guess we just have to do it. This is what the school says. Sorry, I really don't want to. I guess we just have to. My hands are tied. I don't want to work then. I want to spend time with my family. I want to spend time in worship. But I guess, yeah, the boss says, guess that's it. We do it all the time. All the time. We lack in Russiavania courageous faith. Easy for the preacher to say, isn't it? You got to do a little research, people. Preachers lose their position all the time over courageous faith. All the time. Courageous faith comes with it a price. There is a price you will pay for courageous faith. And you need to get to the place in your life, in your walk with Jesus Christ, when you're able to pay that price. There is a price that comes with courageous obedience. I don't care if it's a utopian world. There's a price that comes that must be paid for courageous obedience. Begs the question, what do you fear? Hmm? What is master over your life? Whom do you fear over your life? Verse 17, the midwives... They feared God. They feared God. And they would not do what Pharaoh told them to do. Their lives were on the line and they knew it. 
But what did they fear? They feared God. And what are we looking at 4,000 years later? We look at these, these ladies as examples of life, real life. For you and for me. Courage, real courage. For you and for me. Imagine your story being told 4,000 years later. They feared God. And they wouldn't do what Pharaoh told them to do. Where does courageous obedience come from? It comes from fear. But fear of the right thing. You see, we can be filled with fear of the wrong thing. And it leads us down a very dark path. In fact, Pharaoh is a great example of being afraid of the wrong thing and being led down a very dark path. Pharaoh was afraid not of God... But he was afraid of losing his power and his position, his country, his prestige. Look at, look, go back a couple of verses. Look at verse 8 again. Then a new king, whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will be even more numerous. And if, if, if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. He is terrified over something that has not happened yet. He does not fear God. He fears his own position, and that is making his decisions for him. Pharaoh is a slave. He thinks he's the king of a country that has slaves in it. He's a slave, and he's crippled by fear. Look at this. He is responding to something that hasn't happened yet. Another way of saying that is... He is responding to something that doesn't exist. Didn't we talk about being scared of the monsters under our bed? We say that would be silly because they don't exist. Pharaoh's terrified of something that does not yet exist. And he's making decisions based upon that because he doesn't fear God. He cares only about himself. These ladies, if they lived in the future rather than the decision now, would not have cared about what God said. They would have cared about what maybe tomorrow might bring. You are never further away from God than when you are living in your mind and your heart in the future. We are told never to do that. Jesus tells us, live today, forget about tomorrow, live right now because you've got decisions now. You have responses now. You have courage now. You have obedience now. He also tells us to prepare for eternity. Paul tells us, don't live in the past. That leaves two spots, today and forever. That's the only place your mind and your heart ought to be. Now, one of the jobs of today, you know, is to plan your week, right? And get out the calendar. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about this thing that moves you, that drives you, that determines your decisions. Stay out of the future. You're never further away from God than when you are there. Because I guarantee you, everything there doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Everything today does. Your decisions now do. Your courage now exists. God exists right now, here today. That's what you fear. Is God's presence. Tell Isaac, we can't be doing this the whole time. Just him and me, all right, back and forth. Huh? Oh, no, Isaac's being, hey, sorry. I called you out on that one, brother. I love it. In all honesty, I love every bit of it. I love it. 
Something that disrupts our courageous faith is taking our thoughts off of what we are doing and focusing on what might happen to us. Again, this causes us to fear something that doesn't exist. This was Pharaoh's problem. Let me ask you this. What is courage not? What is courage not? Courage is not two things. Number one, courage is not lack of all fear. It's not lack of all fear. By definition, there must be something there. I told you fear was an ingredient. There must be something there that's threatening. There must be something there to lose. That's one of the reasons courageous faith takes so many forms. It doesn't take a whole lot of courage for me to tell my friends or my family about Jesus, okay? It doesn't take any courage at all. Uh, they know I'm a preacher, which is, well, one, why they avoid me. But number two, they know that when we get together in some sort of meeting, some sort of, you know, gathering, Jesus is going to come up at one point or another. That doesn't take any courage for me to tell them about Jesus, but for somebody, maybe somebody in this room, it takes a great deal of courage to do that. It takes a great deal of fearing God. Even in the face, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? Are they going to walk out? Are they going to hate me? Are they not going to love me anymore? All this stuff, there's something to lose, right? I fear God. I'm going to tell them about the bounty and beauty of Jesus Christ. It takes a great deal of courage sometimes to do those things. There's people that, you know, there's people in our congregation that fly airplanes. You know, they, for some of you, it just, that'd be the scariest thing in the world. For them, it doesn't take any courage at all. There's, for anything, name it. There's people that build houses. You know, for me, that would take a great deal of courage if I was building a house for you. And I promise you, if you were going to live in it, it would take a great deal of courage from you. Okay? In fact, that would be the rule. You can't live here if I'm going to build it. Okay? Even stuff like that. Sometimes there's a great deal of courage in someone's life. And, and in other areas, it may not take a great deal of courage because there's not that, that emotional fear. There's not that something to lose. Lost my place here. Courage is not lack of fear. Fear we consider a bad thing, but only because we treat it incorrectly. We abuse fear, just like we, we abuse so many other emotions. We abuse it and use it in ways it was never meant to be used. Fear is not meant to paralyze us or cause us to go the wrong way. This is much like Jesus in the garden. It's there to challenge us, to strengthen us, to refine us by fire. You see, these are these, some of your, your life's valleys can be some of the greatest gifts that you've ever experienced because it helps you in the face of fear to know what you believe, to know what you believe to act upon what you say and act upon what you profess. Fear is a tool that gives you incredible strength if you're fearing the right thing in the right way. What else is fear not? Fear is not recklessness. Fear is not recklessness. You've probably gotten advice like this before, just plain old bad advice built out of basically ignorance. Uh, you know, you're struggling with something, you're dealing with something, you've got something big, something major on the line, and you ask advice from someone else, and the bad advice usually starts with, why don't you just, right? Why don't you just, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just go there? Why don't you just say this? When you're struggling with this kind of courage, you never just do anything, all right? Anybody can say, why don't you just, if they don't have any skin in the game, Anybody can say, why don't you just, if they're not the ones hanging around mopping up afterwards, right? I hear this all the time. I get this advice a lot from people. Never you. <laughs> why don't you just, or if I was you, I would, but you're not me. Are you? 
right? <laughs> Courage is not recklessness. I was talking to somebody the other day about Moby Dick, and we were talking about just different books, and, and I went home, and I picked it up again for probably the umpteenth time. It was on my mind. I started reading through it again, and, uh, you know, Starbucks kind of the, kind of the hero, kind of holds everything together when Ahab loses his mind. But there's something Starbucks says, <clears throat> and it struck me. He says, I will never take anyone in a whale boat who's not terrified of a whale. He says, because that's where real courage comes from. That's, he says, I don't want recklessness. I want courage. You know, courage is not recklessness. So when I ask you, what do you fear or whom do you fear? I hope none of you say nothing or no one. That's just recklessness. That's living for you and nothing else. That's no responsibility. That's not caring about anything. That's apathy. That's an emptiness in you. So none of those things would fear. Courage, courageous obedience is going into the challenge with your eyes wide open. These women did what was right, and it is reasonable to assume they were fully aware that their lives would be lost if they were found out. Again, there's a price to pay for courageous faith. This is why Jesus says, count the cost. So what about this fear of God? We know the emotion of fear plays a role if done properly. How does the fear of God play a role in courage? Now we are beginning to fear the right thing. Fear of God means an awesome reverence and respect for who He is, what He is, and what He desires. This kind of fear overpowers all other fear. This was the, there, there's countless stories, particularly Civil War stories, this is what I like to read, of, of soldiers that would charge the enemy's guns. And they would charge the enemy's guns with great courage because they were more afraid of their commanding officers moving them forward than they were of the guns facing them. And they ended up loving these types of commanding officers and these sergeants and so forth because they were strong and they were powerful and they had vision and they had purpose and they knew they were committed to that cause. You see, it's that kind of fear that drives out other fear. It's the same kind of fear we have of God or can have of God. He's the king. Pharaoh's not. God's the king. It just looks like Pharaoh might be the king today. But God's the king. You fear the king. Ends up driving out all other fear. That's what it means. This awesome respect and desire. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10. He's talking to his disciples. He says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is why love. Again, you gain this love of this one that you fear and you respect. Love is so important in this ingredient to courage and obedience as well. The object of our love is so much stronger than this emotion of fear. I mean, parents have seen that, right? I mean, the most dangerous place in the world to be, right? It's between a mother and her child. You don't want to be in between that or you're a goner, right? I mean, it's a, it's, there's this connection and this draw there between the two of them in love. And it drives out fear of anything. Because there's such a special connection. Sometimes we have no idea how far our courageous obedience will echo. We think the grand story in history of the great exodus starts with Moses, but it doesn't. It starts right here with these two ladies. It starts right here with their courage. And the nation of God grew into this vast people, into this vast nation. Verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives and the people increased, became even more numerous. We do find that God blessed the midwives and they had their own children. In verse 21, 
Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. But they didn't know that, did they? They didn't know that at the time. They didn't know this was the way things were going to unfold. They didn't know that was the way God was going to work in their lives. Sometimes that's the way God does work in our lives, but not all the time. In fact, if you read through Hebrews, you're going to find quite the opposite. It's through courageous faith that people were not blessed temporarily in life. They were sawn in two. They were run through with swords and beheaded. Hebrews chapter 11, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. I don't know why anybody's here, frankly, if this is what you're signing up for. They were all commended for their faith. Listen closely. Yet none of them received what was promised. You have what was promised. Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior, Messiah, King. You've received it. We're not talking about courageous faith on the front end. We're talking about courageous faith on the back end. And we still struggle with it. We've seen the promise. And we still struggle with courageous faith, courageous obedience. So what was it all for? Look at verse 22. Pharaoh gave up on the midwives, gave up on the Hebrews. He went to his own people. He says, look, new plan. Every Hebrew boy that's born, you must throw them into the Nile and let every girl live. And that's exactly what happened. So here we have courageous faith. Courageous obedience from these two women. Their lives on the line. And they feared God, so they refused to do what Pharaoh told them to do. And what happens? He doesn't end run around and gets the job done anyway. Would feel pretty worthless, wouldn't it? It would almost feel like we're wasting our time. It would almost feel like it wasn't worth it. All of this courage we showed. All of this sacrifice that we made. Because he's got, Pharaoh's got the kids dying anyway. The kids died, they were still killed. What was it all for? You've probably asked that question before. It seems like, you ever, you ever sacrifice something out of courageous obedience? Honestly now, just, and it seems like the world just keeps spinning and nobody cares. Right? Nobody cares. Let me tell you something. If you're going to practice courageous obedience in your life, you'd better get used to that. No one cares. You understand that? If you're going to show courageous obedience and courageous faith in your life, nobody's going to care. They're not going to sing songs about you. They're not going to put a statue up for you. The boss is going to come to you and say, you know what? You raise a really good point there. Nope, the world's going to keep on spinning. Pharaoh just kept on killing. It didn't matter. So what was the point? Why was it so important for them to do this? Two reasons. Number one, what I like to call the Schindler's List reason. And that is, remember Schindler's List. He, remember Schindler. He couldn't save them all, right? He could save some, though, couldn't he? He couldn't save them all. But he could save some. He spent his life. He spent his fortune. He spent his, uh, his safety trying to save people during the Holocaust. That, that story, that movie. And he's heartbroken that he couldn't save them all. You know, there at the end of the movie, I could have saved one more. I could have saved one more. Why was it so important for these ladies to do this? Why was it so important, even if, even if Pharaoh was going to kill kids anyway? You're right, they couldn't save them all. But they could save some. 
They couldn't do everything right. They couldn't get everything perfect. They couldn't get their family to do everything they wanted or use them as this incredible example, whatever it might be. But they could with some. They could with some. Second reason is this. That was the Schindler's List reason. This is, this is the last reason. And you have got to get to this place, this point in your life. Okay? This is what you're all marching towards. This is what I'm marching towards. And there's some people that get there, get very close. And there's most people that are way, way off of this. There's a story, and I'm way over time. I'm going to tell the story here. Uh, there's a story, a movie, another movie that you've probably seen. You've probably seen this. It's called The Legend of Bagger Vance. Have you ever seen this golf movie? And the hero of the story <clears throat> is playing a golf match against two uh, very good golfers, Walter Hagen and Bobby Jones. And the hero of the story, his name's Juna. He's playing a golf match against them. And the last day is 72 holes, and they're tied. They get to the last hole, and they're tied up, and it's late in the day. You know, it's, it's coming down, it's dark out, and they all tee off, and, and they go to find their ball. And the hero of the story, he gets into the woods a little bit, and he sees his ball there. He's there with his, with his junior caddy. And uh, he, he sees his ball, and he's ready to take his second shot. And they're all tied up here, and he, he looks down at his ball, and he, he clears a couple of sticks away. He clears a couple of leaves away from the ball just so he can have a better shot. And as he's clearing the sticks, the ball, what's happened? Do you remember this? The ball moves. About that far. Looks over at his little caddy there, and he says, the ball moved. He says, i got to penalize myself a stroke. And boy, his little caddy just goes off, doesn't he? Don't do that. You can't do that. That's horrible. This is a stupid rule, right? We shouldn't even do this to begin with. Look, it's just you and me. No one's going to know. What was his response? I don't know. I don't know. Courageous faith. You do what's right because it's right. No one's going to know. Your family is not going to know. Your church isn't going to know. Your kids aren't going to know. Your spouse isn't going to know. Your boss isn't going to know. No one is going to know. Most of the time, they're not going to care. You do what is right. Because it's right, and no other reason, no other reason, that's courageous faith. Okay, we've blown through our time. Moms, I'm sorry, you probably had something planned, right? But it's important. It's important for your life and it's important for mine. And moms, I'm going to tell you something. It's definitely important for the lives of your kids. Courageous faith being shown in your life. It's definitely important for your family. It's definitely important for the testimony you give, the legacy you leave. To see this courageous faith in your life. Anybody can follow Jesus when it's easy. Anybody. It's when it gets hard when we're in the valley. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for the love that you've shown us. We thank you, Father, that we get to be challenged today. We thank you, Father, that we can know what is right and we can follow through with what is right. 
We thank you, Father, that we get to be, be shown. We get to be shown where our heart lies. We get to be shown where our beliefs lie. When it comes to a call upon courageous faith, courageous obedience, we ask, Father, that you propel us, you move us in order to care and fear who and what you are above everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Thank you, Father, that you continue to 
show blessing and shower blessing upon your creation and upon your children. Father, help us to receive that, to know that, to understand it, that we might express courageous obedience and faith, uh, even in the face of the enemy, Father, uh, that we might look to eternity and look to the decisions we have right now here today. Thank you in Jesus' name.